You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, and we're going to be returning to Matthew chapter 14. Taylor, could you get me a glass of water? Um, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, and we've been working our way through the book of Matthew. Get my notes here. And we're going to be in, starting in verse 22. Thank you, buddy. And would you also grab the iPad and just set it right there? Thank you. So we are starting in verse 22 of Matthew 14. I'm going to turn there. Kim, do you want to read this text for us this morning? No? Okay. Uh, We've got a lot of things going on in our house this morning that uh, are not the normal. So I'll just do it. Um, Nothing bad. Just just different. Um, All right. So Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is God's word. So let's look at verse 22. Immediately made them made the disciples get into the boat. So what just happened? Well, last week we talked about the feeding of the five thousand, and um, that was a, a lot. You know, you can they were out there. Jesus was healing people, and um, and it, the day was long, and people were getting hungry. And Jesus said, "Hey, uh, the disciples came to him. I'm sorry, and said we don't have anything to eat, and these people are gonna faint from hunger." And he said, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have nothing. And he says, essentially, well, you have me. And so bring five loaves and, uh, let's see, five loaves and two fish. And um, and everyone gets fed. So it's a long day of ministry. We talked about that last week. So he says, it's time to be done. And I want you guys to go have some alone time and get away from the crowds. And then it's, and he dismissed the crowds, verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So take note again that Jesus retreats to isolation. He goes off by himself to pray. Again, we see that. Um, There's probably a lot of emotional and physical output 
needed rest, needed to rejuvenate and to reset. So let me just ask you real quick at the beginning here. It's not the point of the sermon, not a point of the text, but just at where, where is this happening for us? Is there possibility of rest and rejuvenation and, and retreat? And maybe it is going to require some intentionality and forethought, but I want us to see that again. Uh, Jesus retreating to be with his father for us that's probably going to mean prayer and Bible reading and, and reflection and quiet. Um, I want to commend that to us. Let's keep reading. Second half of verse 23. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now that fear is understandable, right? That fear is understandable. If you were in a boat and it's night and it's tossed by the, by the waves, that's stressful enough. Have you ever been on a boat that was going up and down and you probably didn't have a patch to put on your arm to, 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 to deal with the nausea? Like the force of moving water is intense. And then you see somebody walking on the water and you don't recognize who that is. Like that would be quite jarring to say the least, right? This is an understandable fear if you put yourself in their shoes, right? But notice that Jesus has something to say in the midst of their fear. Jesus always has something to say to us in the midst of our fear. Look at verse 27. But immediately, so he didn't make them wait. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I remember very vividly when our daughter Autumn was three years old. Um, she had a night terror and this has never happened again to any of to any of our kids and it has only happened once in, in our parenting uh, but I'll never forget we were fast asleep in bed it was probably midnight and our uh, our room this is when we lived in Albuquerque uh, this is you know 13 years ago uh, our bed was on the ground floor and the kids were upstairs in the second story and Kim and I are fast asleep probably midnight and we just hear this blood curdling scream like we'd never heard before from any of our kids. Like, you know how you just can, you, when your kids cry, um, there's a difference, you know, there's a cry that's like, I'm angry. There's a cry that's like, I'm hungry. There's a cry that's like, I am um, sad. And this was a cry like, there's a grizzly bear in my bedroom. And you know what I mean? Like, it was just so unique. And there's the kind of cry that is very instinctual for you as a dad where you're just flying out of bed, not even thinking like what is happening upstairs in, uh, in Taylor and Autumn's bedroom. And so you get up there and she's standing by the edge of her bed, just like shaking and screaming. And you can tell that like nobody, like her eyes were open, but like nobody was home. And, uh, and she's just losing her mind. And it was weird, really weird. Like I'd never seen anything like it. Um, so what do I do? Um, I pick her up 
And what's the first thing I say is, I, daddy's here. Like, what did I say to her to assure her that she didn't have to be afraid anymore? I assured her of two things, my presence and my identity. My presence and my identity. I didn't say, Autumn, you're so foolish for being afraid. You just need to knock it off. I didn't like try to logic the situation for her on why she shouldn't be afraid. I assured her of my presence and identity. Daddy's right here. I'm okay. Or it's okay. I'm right here. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm right here. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He assures them of his, what? You see it there. His identity and his presence. Basically, he says to them, be at peace. Because it's me, Jesus, I am here. Do, do not be afraid. See, if you're out on a boat, maybe today, uh, enjoying the summer sun, you see some random person walking on the water, you would have much reason to fear. Like, who is this and what is happening right now? If you hear a noise in the middle of the night and you get out of bed and see a dark figure in the corner of the house, you would have much reason to fear, right? Like, who is this? What is happening right now? What calms those fears? Well, in the house illustration, the response is, if the response is, hey, Dad, uh, it's just me. I got up and bumped my toe really hard. Well, what is that? My fears are calmed because of identity. In this case, my son or daughter speaking their identity calms fears, right? Jesus is speaking his identity to the disciples to calm their fears. You don't have to remain wondering, guys, he says. Who is this? What is happening right now? The presence of God speaks into their fear. So here's the point. According to Jesus, the identity of God, the presence of God, is the antidote to debilitating fear. Since I'm present with you, fear can be laid aside. You don't have to be afraid. So, if you place yourself in their shoes, fear is well-founded, right? And until Jesus speaks. Someone's walking on the water. Uh, that's pretty wild. But Jesus speaks into their fear, not with just random words. He doesn't tell a joke. He doesn't explain the physics of what's happening. So their minds are satisfied. He just assures them of his presence. And so I wonder how many of us need to be reminded of this today. Like there's a lot that threaten, that feels threatening to us. It's just part of living in a fallen world, right? COVID's making us all crazy in one way or another. It stirs fear in so many. Like the fear of death. Death that could come through disease. Like that's something that's just part of the human experience. And you probably fear death too if you saw someone walking on the water. Like if this person is powerful enough to suspend the, the natural, the normal laws of nature so they can walk on water, that's power that I have, that I can't measure up to. I'm no match for. What else could that person do to me, right? Those thoughts would pass through your mind in an instant. Fear is a normal human response to a pandemic, to someone walking on water, and a whole host of other things in the human experience. But what do we learn here? That the presence of God makes all the difference. 
God spoke then into the fear of his followers and he speaks, hear this, he speaks again today into the fear of his followers through his word and his spirit working through his word. I want you to see this in another part of scripture. The apostle Paul was dealing with this with the first followers of Jesus in the ancient churches of Rome. And at time, Christians in Rome faced death faced the fear of death. Again, not from a pandemic, but from persecution. And he states clearly that there are some things that are worse than death. For those who know God as he has revealed himself in his word, we know this is to be true. There are worse things than death. Namely, being separated from God for eternity. There's worse things than physical death. So temporal suffering is really bad. Eternal suffering is even worse. But look at what Paul does as he speaks into the fear of his people who might face death. He reminds them, what does he do? He reminds them of the presence of God in Christ, in the love of Christ. I'm just going to read this text. This is a famous text found in Romans chapter 8. But I want you to notice what he does as he speaks into the fear of God's people. Verse 31 of Romans 8 says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate Let's see, uh, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's a statement of presence, the presence of God, right? Interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Great, great rhetorical question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or, or danger, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There's, this, there's death. There's, there's the fear of death. Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the presence of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. The presence of God will remain amidst all of our fears. See what Paul's doing there? He wants to assure us of the presence of God in the midst of the fear of death. And that's just what Jesus is doing in this text in small form, in a small time and space in history, but the principle radiates out for 2,000 years. So let me ask you, are you feeling afraid today? I want to encourage you to meet with God. Remember the promises of God in his word. The presence of God finds its tangible nature in, in, in the promises of God where he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 28, I'm with you to the very 
end. So God's word is so powerful in this to remind us of the presence of God. Here's the other thing. God's people are so important as we remind each other of the presence of God in the midst of our fear. We can speak God's word of encouragement to one another. Now here's the problem. We're in a global pandemic. We're not gonna hang out necessarily um, in all the normal ways that we would hang out because of the pandemic. The Bible says clearly that there's power in our gathering to encourage one another. The one another's of the New Testament are, are normal and expected for God's followers. And we're not doing that right now in the same way. But there's still ways to connect, to remind each other of God's presence and his power in the midst of our fear. So I wanna encourage us to not give up here. This is gonna require some intentionality, but let's not give up. Technology is our friend here. Or maybe just meeting up with somebody outside so we can speak to one another in the midst of our fears. That God's word is true. We remind each other of this. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a FaceTime. Maybe it's a Marco Polo on your, on your phone. But remember, isolation does pose a very real spiritual danger. Now, there's physical danger for sure with, with COVID. But spiritual danger is also very real in the Bible that comes from isolation. So we're going to have to be intentional and creative in this time. It's so easy for our faith to just slide and we don't even know it when the normal means of being a Christian are not present. Like our gathering, the weekly rhythm of being together. So we still need each other very much in the midst of the fear that a lot of us are dealing with, but we need to be creative and intentional to remind one another that God is with us. He says so in his word, it's a promise. Jesus risen from the dead, sent the Holy Spirit to live in us individually and corporately. Nothing can separate us from him, even the great enemy being death. We have to remind each other of those things. So let's let's use technology, let's use creativity, intentionality to see this to continue to happen. Let's keep reading. Let's go back to our scene on the boat. Verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So notice what happens twice now in this text. There's fear, and Jesus speaks. Disciples were afraid, Jesus speaks into their fear. And now we're going to see Jesus, uh, Peter, narrows in on Peter here. He gets afraid. He becomes afraid a second time. And Jesus is going to speak and act into that fear. So look at verse 28. Jesus identifies himself, but Peter, he doubts. He says, if it is you. See that? If it is you. 
And I love here that Jesus doesn't give the impression of like rolling his eyes and saying to himself, come on, Peter, like who, who else is it going to be, right? Remember those 5,000 people that just got fed? He just welcomes Peter to join him. And Peter's kind of putting God to the test here, putting God's word to the test. It's understandable. And I think Jesus knows our, our frailty, our weakness and fear. So he just simply says, come. And Peter does. Can you imagine that? Like how cool would that be? Peter walking on the water, experiencing the power of God in a very, very unique way for any human being throughout all of history. And here's the other thing I want us to see. I love it that Peter actually did it, right? For all of his flaws, and you read the New Testament, you'll see Peter, he's a mess at times. He's used by God powerfully at times, but he's a mess a lot of the time. But for all of Peter's faults, he actually got out of the boat. See that? He heard the call of Jesus and believed it enough to actually move his body. It wasn't just hearing God's word, it was hearing and doing. It wasn't just listening and not acting, it was listening and acting. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. This is Jesus' word, this is God's word. Peter hears it and he does it. So Peter models the Christian life well here. But he gets tripped up, doesn't he? We can see ourselves in Peter, can't we? Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You can imagine him stepping out on water and feel it firm under his feet and being like, wow, oh my, this is the most amazing thing in the world. You can imagine that, right? And then two seconds later, wait a second, these waves Oh, they're, they're pretty big. It's kind of rolling, kind of threatening, this force of moving water. And Jesus is right there. He's right in front of me. And I'm right here walking on this water. But, but those waves, look, look at those waves. We can all relate to Peter being conflicted here, right? Focus on Jesus, focus on waves. We vacillate. God calls us to leave the comfort zone of the boat we start out strong, but then there's opposition and fear. It swoops in. And we forget the one who called us out of the boat in the first place. The fear grows bigger than the faith in the one who calls us to leave the comfort zone and the security of the boat and just trust him. Just trust his word that calls. We can relate to that, can't we? But Jesus is merciful and he hears us when we call out to him. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand. I love how it says immediately. It wasn't like, well, I'll just let Peter struggle a little bit. No, it was immediately. Reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Jesus saves Peter in the moment then he gives him something to think about. He asks a good question. Super simple question, but it's packed with meaning. Like, yeah, why did I doubt? I was doing fine. 
And I saw those waves and I was just forgetful and fearful. We can all see ourselves in Peter, can we not? And right here is that moment in the sermon where it would be so easy to say, what are the waves in your life? What are the metaphorical waves in your life that you're tempted to fixate on in the midst of threat and fear? Is it COVID? Is it losing a job? Is it losing a loved one? Now listen, those are all serious things that we will not diminish or minimize that we can worry about. And I could make that sermon application of what are the waves in your life that you're tempted to focus on and forget about Jesus? Like that sermon will preach, but I think that that might be mistaken from the text. I don't think that's the point of this text. I think it's a great idea that we could find in other texts of the Bible, but I don't think it's the main point that Matthew wants us to see this morning when he wrote this down for an original audience 2,000 years ago. That's what we always have to be remembering. What what do you think Matthew was trying to get that original audience to, to get through their heads? And I get a different conclusion from the way that Matthew just summarizes this account. Look at what the punchline is here of this, this whole narrative of verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Here's what it doesn't say. When they got in the boat, they all stopped and reflected on, what are the metaphorical waves in my life that keep me from keeping my eyes on Jesus? That's not what it says, right? It's a good question to ask, but not for this text. Seems like that wasn't their big takeaway. See, the what are the waves in your life kind of question. Is it COVID? Is it loss of a job? Is it loss of a, a, a parent or, or a loved one? Like That's very serious. And it needs to be thought about. But from this text, that's not the emphasis. See, the emphasis doesn't become the disciples reflecting on their own hearts. The, the emphasis becomes Jesus. It's not, the emphasis is not on me and my lack of faith. It's not me focusing on myself, but what? What are they focused on here in verse 32? The identity of Jesus. Who is this one who walks on the water? Who is this Jesus? What is he worthy of? What kind of response is required to a man who can walk on the water? And verse 32 just shows clearly the answer to these questions. The God-man just walked on water. Truly, you are the Son of God. It's an identity. The presence of God and the identity of God is with them in the boat. The presence of God. So what does that imply for his people? It implies worship. It implies, man, get a bigger view of God. Get a bigger view of Jesus. Truly, you are the Son of God. That's the focus, the presence and identity that Jesus originally assured them of, now they're convinced of. You see the progression? They're afraid. He speaks. They believe. 
they worship. It didn't say that, man, their fear got smaller. It just says that Jesus got bigger amidst their worship of him as they saw the presence and identity of King Jesus. See, notice this. When worship is happening, fear is rarely happening at the same time. We don't read in verse 31 or 32 that they were scared anymore. When worship is happening, fear usually is not. Why? Because in the presence of the one who can handle our fears and deal with them, that becomes our all-consuming vision. So I think we battle fear most effectively, like we learn in this text, through knowing the identity of Jesus as the Son of God and worshiping him on a regular basis, keeping our focus on him. Remember, who is he? Really, who is he? Do you know Jesus is truly the Son of God? This is Discipleship 101 for God's people. So I just want to call us, Vine family, this morning to heed Matthew's account and join the disciples throughout the ages in learning from this and doing it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and the fact that your promises are sure, that you promise to be with us and never to forsake us, that you are the Son of God that we know and see in our lives too. Lord, I pray that we would take a moment and, uh, and simply reflect on how you have been present to call us out of the boat, to walk with you. Lord, you've been faithful to do this. And I pray for some this morning that they would listen over and over again to your word. They would soak in your word and see your promise of provision and presence. Um, and that we would focus on that and not ourselves, focus on you, not ourselves, and see and remember how you've been so faithful to us so that we can just keep walking towards you day after day after day um, and not doubt. Lord, help us. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us in the midst of our doubts, Lord, to keep our eyes on you and not ourselves and not our opposition. Lord, would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen.